welcome to the Philia podcast. Philia means daughter. We are the daughters of the women who came before us and we fight so that our daughters may be free. We are a women-led volunteer organization. Our vision is a world free from patriarchy where all women and girls are liberated. We seek to contribute to the women's liberation movement by building sisterhood and solidarity among women locally, nationally, and globally. By amplifying the voices of women, particularly those less often heard or purposefully silenced, and by defending women's human rights. Our podcast seeks to shed light on some of the most pressing issues facing women and girls around the world. Please take from them what you can. In sisterhood and in solidarity, the Philia team. Hi everyone, I'm, I'm really pleased to be joined today um, by someone that I also have the privilege of, of working with in my day job and it's really great to be able to share some of the great work um, that's going on um, in London across the UK. I'm speaking with Hal Tahiri, who is the Executive Director of MESO or the Middle Eastern Women's Society Organization. And we're going to be talking about the campaign that they're running at the moment about banning virginity testing, but also a lot more than that and sort of get to, to have why that campaign come about. So, so um, hello to you, Hal. It's really lovely to have you joining us on the Philia podcast. Thank you very much for having me here. You're most welcome. And perhaps we could start, if it's all right with you, by just talking a little bit about you and your background and, and what was it in your life that sort of brought you to activism? I am originally Kurd from Iran and Delhi and Girl from 1979 revolution in Iran uh, when um, the Shah fell and then our family, my family actually was uh, involved in politics because of my two big brother, my father. And then for years that they have been in prison and from very, very childhood, I knew about injustice. I knew about uh, talking uh, and working on the cover. I knew about that forbidden things. And I grew up with... Um, team or undercover group or visiting them because of my brothers were involved heavily in politics and then Savak the um, intelligence group of Shah were always following or checking on us so I grew up in a climate that affected me for the rest of my life and I think I will have it until to the end because it's, it's part, part of my gene I would say that yeah. And then gradually after the revolution, unfortunately, uh, Khomeini came and the life was hard even mm -hmm. for Kurdish people, for my family as well, because I lost it, the most uh, people in my family, uh, my brother's spouse in uh, Khomeini. And I lost it, my first fiance, I lost it, my nine beloved members of family in the in the fight with Khomeini and Islamic Republic. And I joined the partisan group, a left-wing party. And for the rest of life, I was out of my town, my background, my family, and traveled from place to place to different country between two continents, five countries, until in 2005, I came to England. And during these years, 
I saw many injustices. I saw many war. I saw two revolutions, first Iranian revolution and then Kurdistan Iraqi revolution. And I was involved as well again. And uh, because it just remind me about the rebellion time in late 20s when um, early 30s when the revolution in Iraq started. And um, I was just freedom fighter again. And then after that Gulf War, I traveled to Syria, Turkey, and then to Sweden. And then in Sweden settled properly. I educated myself and then started building new women organization for Kurdish people. And then in 2005, I decided that because I traveled so much during my life, I, I, I feel it in early 40, middle of 40, and that actually I needed another go to travel around the world and see other part of the uh, world. And I came to England and I like it and I stayed. I was social worker first, but then I realized that I must go back to my field. And I uh, set up with women, Middle Eastern Women and Society Organization in 2010. And until now, I'm just struggling, fighting, hoping for changing the attitude of the community, for helping women and girls, especially most vulnerable people in my community, which is women and girls, and then uh, be part of this uh, change, be part of this process that they deserve better life. They should live better than what we face it every day in their life and they are coming to me. So that's the part of my background. That's brilliant. And I think, you know, we aren't we lucky that you've decided to to come to, to the UK and to London and, and spend some time with us because, um, you know, we're always, always welcome more women activists. And and you've already, you know, achieved an, an awful lot. You you set up the society, the, the Middle Eastern Women's Society, an, an organisation. Can you tell us a little bit about that organisation, what it seeks to do, who it works with? You know, um, many of, almost all of our women and girls, uh, even men, some part of the men, uh, vulnerable men, are very displaced. And then it's like a forgotten people when you go down, deep down in their relationship in the community. And for my passion as a women activist, I took the women and children and women and girls to look after. Uh, And I had this experience for years as a displaced person that even I was fighter, but I I couldn't find my place. Sometimes I wasn't welcome and then sometimes pushed me away, but I was fighter. But that's not happening with everybody in the community. They can't fight, they can back off and they can give up very soon if you don't help them. So I decided that I I won't allow any other women and girls in my power to have this experience that I have it passionately. I was fighter and still I have been affected. So if they are not fighter, they get ill and then it will be worse with the rest of their life. So I decided to create Muso, a space for them that they can trust each other, they can trust us, and then gradually they can speak up 
about their problem and gradually they will be empowered. And gradually when they are empowered, they can be connected and be integrated as much. We know that the integration issue is a huge issue and it's not always one of the um, positive issue. Always we can see that how much we fail in this integration process. But in my part, really, that's why I call it women and society. I really want to connect women with the society, whether it's their own community or being with the neighborhood or being with the wider society. And then for this integration process, we needed a part, partly we needed uh, women will be empowered, other people will be interested to help those women, and other people will be from the society will be interested to be connected with those women. And then those women can't get help so much if they just live in the rules and regulation and cultures in their community and family. So therefore, the rule and regulation, the culture, this, the uh, perspective of looking at women and girls in the community must change. So therefore, gradually, I decided that I must be involved with politicians. I must be involved with decision makers and tell them that things must change in our community by my help, by those pioneer women that now they are speaking about their life and by your power as a decision maker by law, by regulation, by services, by resources that you provide. And I will be guaranteed that I have backup by, from you and I can go to the community and communicate with them because I already have bridges and they trust me. So this process is a part of Muso's work. While we are looking after them in domestic violence, in isolation uh, process, and in learning new skills and knowing about this new country, it's a part of that that they don't, they are not connected with this country that they live. So, um, and one side, and the other side is communicating with the politician, with MPs, with other women organization, with other networks and telling them that that's what's happening in my community. Come and help us because they are citizens of our country. They deserve better life and we shouldn't live in two-tier. Later on, I will describe it. What is that? Two-tier uh, regulation in our community and women just get confused and they don't know who to trust. I think it, it, it strikes me, um, you said the word trust several times there, and, and that is just so huge, isn't it? If if women can't speak to someone that understands their culture, their background, and someone that they feel will know what's happening in their life and the context in which it's happening, that doesn't then give them the opportunity to share that reality that you can then say to the politicians and um, you know other decision makers this is what's going on for the community and this is you know what we need to do about it so that that building of trust and having someone who understands their contacts is hugely important to be able to to move these these issues forward that's true because you know when every person is coming to the new place and they don't know anything about that and in the first uh, period they are just panicking. They are trying to forget about their horror, 
that they had in the past, especially refugee and migrant women. And sometimes they are facing the horror and oppression in their own family, but they don't know how to get help. When they were at home, they had a connection. Now here, they don't have connection. And then they are looking for support and the best, and then they can't speak English, the language of the country, and then they don't know how it's function. So when they are coming to us, we speak the language, we tell them in the simple way, what is the services? We make them calm down and be trusted. We tell them that we are looking after do step by step. Don't worry. We tell them the most important support that the government will provide for them because most of them even don't know that there is services for women to be supported. There is refuge, for example, if they will run from the house, from the horror of their relationship, for example. Uh, for example, those migrant women, they they are always scared of deportation. And when they are coming to, to us and say that, first of all, take it out of this image that you will be deported. You won't be deported. So this, uh, this message can't be from outsiders. She can't trust it. But when I tell her, when the Arabic speaker, when the Persian speaker, Kurdish speaker, telling her and say that, trust me, you won't be deported. I will help you. So then she will start and telling about her situation and trust. So trust is really, really important in any relationship, especially in very distressed, distressed situation, in traumatic situation. And then gradually they will speak up about this situation. You come, you're right. Yeah. And, and again, it's, it's, it's another one of the many reasons why it's so important that we, we protect and expand our, our specialists, what we call the buy and for organisations, working with different communities so that you can get that information in your own language um, by someone who understands what, what you're going for. And I think, um, you know, the campaign that you're involved in at the moment about banning virginity testing, I, I think perhaps if we start right at the beginning about how do we define virginity? Uh, very uh, deep question, good question and confusing as well because there is many, many way to uh, interpret uh, this word. But in my opinion, the virginity test is a tool in hand of men in man-dominated society where women are part of the property of men. Uh, women and children are property like the rest of the property and it must be looked after and it must be used in the way that they choose for them. And then virginity is a part of very sensitive uh, issue, part of women because it's related to sexual life and production and this must be under control of men totally. So when, when men control the sexual life of women in very, very worst situation is like Somali that they do in a very worst way, FGM, female genital mutilation, yes. and then they totally vanished from the childhood until the night that they are 
marriage and it's so painful and it's so discouraging it's so misogynistic i don't know how to describe it in words but in other way when they there isn't fgm that you can't make it safe that the, any sexuality won't happen so later on those men uh, those cultures and customs and even religions such for some religion who are very strict like islam very strict about that any sexual relationship before marriage and before uh, permission from father and family is forbidden is haram and is punishable so therefore in such a situation virginity uh, test will be required as the tools to guarantee that this goods this property is pure is untouched is ready to be delivered to another man which is a fiance so you can see the process absolutely and also it it speaks to us when you're you're defining women as as property clearly this the virginity speaks to their worth so the the worth that the family would put to a woman who was deemed to be a virgin as opposed to the lack of worth a family would put to a woman who they felt wasn't a virgin yes and and question is that when virginity test is doing it doesn't show it's a it's a fraud it's a totally fraud because it doesn't show that this person this young girl had a sexual relationship because almost 50% of young girls for many reason riding bicycle uh, horse at uh, using tampon falling uh, from uh, uh, trees or from thing, doing some exercises they lose their virginity or maybe from uh, natural body they don't have it, this elastic enough elastic hymen that start bleeding and then this bleeding is fraud again it, and it doesn't show the real virginity or the real life sexual life of these girls so for many time girls have been killed punished abused beaten humiliated for nothing because of this three drops of bleeding at the first night of wedding so that is so misogynistic that is so violation of a women's rights really because unnecessary you put it you judge women and girls we judge those girls mm -hmm. uh, uh, as a untrusted person even by the customs of the family for nothing and then for those girls who had it relationship it's a very very hard uh, time it's a very very dangerous because for some reason some reason those young girls imagine in uk schools and society those young girls learn from uh, school that they have right to know about their life to know about their sexual life from 16s they can experience in a very healthy way relationship they get boyfriend they look at their neighbors the girls are uh, the same their friends and then they start in the relationship 
And when it's the time for the wedding, they panicking. They are so scared because of the tick boxes from the family, custom, culture, religion that they are asking for. And one of the boxes is so strong. It's a virginity must be clear. And then therefore they are panicking and then they are rushing to hymen repair surgery. And then all the family starting saying or asking the guests, okay, we are going for the test. I don't trust you because you were being with the girls many times. You have been away many hours and I don't trust you. I take you to the doctor. I must be sure before I will give you to the um, to your fiance. Otherwise, I lose my honor. Otherwise, I, I can't look at my family, my community, or all those attitudes that they, they have been brainwashed, they have been doctrined, and they have been, uh, they trust, they believe in that. And then they just are their own children by that. And then they starting, family will start panicking, going to the doctor, search for a test, girls with panicking, going underground and searching for the surgery. You know, you don't know what's happening underground. It's like iceberg. Mm-hmm. When you hear this is the agility, under the iceberg is chaotic with both family, especially mother who are in charge to look after the virginity of their girls. And then the poor girl's self that looking for support uh, to get rid of this uh, issue. And then until the wedding is coming. So by the definition, which um, wedding is a most beautiful, uh, desirable moment for a girls when it's going, but for girls in our community, it's a most traumatic process. And I'm, I'm just thinking if you're, so within this, this culture, cultural consideration we're defining virginity or we're assessing virginity by the fact that the hymen is intact so um, the test as such is to test whether or not the hymen is intact even though we know that's not a, a good measure of whether or not someone is a virgin in the first place but I mean I'm just thinking of the the trauma for these young women how you know, how actually would that be tested? What happens to a young woman if she goes um, for virginity testing? We interviewed some of them. One of our clients have been interviewed last week by ITV in uh, Good Morning Britain. And they all talk about the trauma, about the time, about the humiliation, about the feeling so unhappy that that people think that they are dirty and then they have been checked um, the process that they are going to under the control of the doctors um, imagine that we trust doctor because of our health we trusted them with our health but imagine those doctor that they put our girls in such a risk therefore it should be banned therefore they should be fine therefore they should go to prison because they put it our girls in such a risk such a traumatic process that checking on their dignity on their personality on their value and saying yes or no 
by just one word. And Gears described to me uh, that it were, uh, we were fighting with our mother. We say that we are not going, or sometimes we decided to go, but before we are going, that we feel dirty, we feel very panicking, we feel that a punish, punishment is coming, and then we we um, we were really worried when we go to the doctor. What who what the person is would say to us whether we are we are not especially those kids that they were sure that they haven't got any relationship but still they were in charge to go even they they had the traumatic process and some girls that they had the relationship but still being pushed to go and already they knew that what the doctor would say but they hoped maybe doctor will lie or something. So imagine that this process give a lot hard time to those girls. They, they lose their self-esteem. They feel even uh, bad about themselves. They pa- start punishing themselves. Some of them maybe go for suicide before they are going for the virginity test and are so scared of the rest of the punishment. That's why they are going for suicide. Or some of them, they decided not to marry if, if the case is that they must show it that they are virgin. But those for those girls that they are doing uh, hymenoplasty, we had a case, one case that the girls um, actually was, haven't got in any relationship, but she wasn't sure. She heard about that some girls might not bleed. So therefore, she searched doctor. She was so desperate and worried about her fiance. She she went to doctor and said that just stick me up because I'm not sure if I bleed or not. Or make me give me some. And there is some package that in first night they can use it for some bleeding. Even they use it. Even they haven't got it sexual relationship just because they are so worried about these few drops and they must be shown on their bed um, in front of the fiancé or rest of the family sometimes. Sorry to interrupt. So the the groom's family will expect to see blood on the sheets on the (laughs) wedding night as, as, as proof? strongly in Asian family, in mm. Arabic world, in Middle East, mostly, definitely, fiancé must see that. And sometimes some families require that fiancé come out and show the, this heat as a bleeder to the rest of the family, then they leave them alone. So, so this is all around shame and honour, isn't it? Yes. Uh, for them, it's about shame and honor, and it's about that purity of the girls, and it's about that they they got it a pure, perfect woman in the family that will be added. For me, it was the description of the property that the goods must be pure, perfect, untouched to the next person, like brand new. Unfortunately, yeah, again, so, like a product, as yes. And so, there's no, there's no medical reason why this procedure should be done. So, where are who are the doctors that are assaulting young women in this way for no reason that is 
anything to do with their physical health. There's, there's no, other than these cultural reasons, there's not another reason for this test to be done, is there? Yes, that's true. Um, there isn't. If you look at the society, many people are just surprised and say that, really, is that happening? But it's happening because it's a part of business as well. It's a big business, like a 1,000 from one, 300 to 1,000 pounds just for tests for family who are desperate to get it. So imagine those, those doctors, those untrusted doctors, those doctors that we believe that they are looking after us for our health, they gain such a money for mm. testing those guys. And for high medical pay, up to four 4,000 pounds cost for those guys. So many clinics, more than 20 clinics have been detected that they you can book it online for the um, attraction or beauty of the hymen, but underground in the orally, they make it their business, they give the cash and it's for hymen repair. They are doing that in the UK, especially in UK, especially in Edgeworth Road, mm-hmm. happening. And then therefore it's really, the law is really important because all of them must be closed. And if they will be detected, they must be fined. They must be in prison, both doctor and clinic. They have to learn their lesson. And as you say, it's if I can imagine that if, as much as I didn't want this procedure, if when I was taken, I went to some very nice clinic with a very well-qualified doctor, that would give some legitimacy to the procedure. So it's only by changing the law that we can be really clear that this is a form of abuse and and not there's nothing legitimate at all about it that's totally true and then some of them find excuses that they say that the girls is coming and begging us they are worried they might be in dangerous situation that's why they have done it which is an excuse both for virginity test and for hymen repair uh, they must be teach. That's one of the uh, role and duty that we have as an organization. We wanted to teach all doctors and clinic and tell them that if it's a, such a situation, girls is coming, you can give the brochure of our organization. You can tell her that there is service that can help you. Police can help you. Social services can help you. You will be protected. You don't need it go through such a hard time and then you don't deserve it uh, such a uh, procedures just because you are the doctor must be part of the support mm-hmm. rather than uh, be uh, pushing to such a surgery or procedure so therefore uh, it's a part of the uh, education we must give it to clinics to doctors to all those people who are involved it's a bit similar if we if we don't stop it 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 strikes me that it's similar to a to a woman going to the doctor with an injury because her partner's hit her and the doctor telling her that she shouldn't do those things that makes her partner hit her rather than supporting her to get away from an abusive partner exactly and for the domestic violence right now the doctors have learned that immediately they gave them brochure 
in such a situation. They call to organization. We have many cases that GP just call us and then they, in a dangerous situation, they call to police. They have right. So that must be exactly with the virginity test, with the high repair, with such an issue as well. So I think, I mean, we've had some positive news recently in that the government is saying within its new violence against women and girls strategy that it willing it will ban virginity testing but i i didn't see anything in the document about um the hymen aplasty so i'm kind of confused as how you if you how you could ban one and not the other because they're, they're so linked very good question Actually, when we started three years ago with this issue, we started from hymen repair surgery ban. And uh, it, a lot of media uh, show attention and it was good. And it was uh, some messages go around in some part of the parliament talking about ban hymenoplasty. Then later on discussion shift to ban virginity test and then our campaign starting from two and a half years, it was just six months between. And then we starting with ban virginity test and then we founded good people in the parliament that they were interested. And then we were being connected and other women, women organizations show interest as well. And then we all started communicating with the government having round table with um, uh, health secretary of the government with uh, uh, some MP members that they were interested. And then we are talking about the whole banning. And in one of the discussion, actually I raised that definitely hymen repair surgery must be banned parallel with virginity test. Otherwise we fail, otherwise we fail to our promise to our women in the community. Because if you ban virginity, for example, virginity test, the girls unnecessary, because she's not sure about that, going for hyperopian surgery. So you are part of this misogynistic process. How dare you doing that, you know? And I told them directly that if you are not of them ban, you will be part of this violence against women. So therefore, it's really, really important that both of them parallel must be done. The answer come back and say that congratulations, both of them are banned now. So what we got it message as an organization, for, for example, Richard Holden, and that ban virginity test, ban hymen, hymenoplasty, uh, have been proceed and it's okay and have been accepted. What I am hearing later on the uh, girls and women, women and girls violation um, strategy, this they are just saying ban virginity mm -hmm. test. We want, we always want remind them that it's a ban virginity test, ban hymenoplasty. You they can't divide them they can't separate them together both must be done together otherwise we can't properly help women and girls in our community in our society this is really important we will repeat it all the time we are going again the ban the process of ban take one year until one year we are working in the community we educating we are saying again and again it's a ban virginity test ban hymenoplasty 
we can't divide it these two really because both of them are are buying into that misogynist concept that there is you know a worth a, a woman's worth is is determined by her sexual uh, and reproductive action that, and that she's not a person in her own right that it yes. is property of the father the property of the husband etc etc rather than being a an individual woman yes totally true and then uh, by ban uh, for example virginity test so you might just for a little group of doctors that doing surgery but the big business is a hymen repair and still it's a business they are going underground and they make it more expensive because they know that women uh, needed more and then those girls will be suffered so how can how can we help and our and our listeners how can they get involved to help you uh, make sure within this next year as the legislation comes into force that it this legislation that's worth its weight rather than this kind of like we seem to have half measures at the moment we must continue with our campaign uh, non-stop ban virginity test ban hymenoplasty. And we needed coalition. We needed support from everywhere. We needed people to invite us and we tell them because we know about this situation. It's a part of education. Everybody must hear about that. Everybody must talk about that. As much as we talk openly about that, we break silence. We break this taboo. This is a taboo, we must break it. We talk openly about that to everyone, with everyone, and we can tell them what it's about. It's really, really important. We needed an audience to listen to us. We needed media to send them our messages to wider society. We needed more politicians to listen to us when, when they are going back to the parliament say that, Oh, women's organization out there shouting for ban both of them. So don't divide them in part, you know. And then we needed coalition among the women activists. Oh, we need if we are a big coalition, we can change more and we can push it more for any changes. For example, in um, law, uh, there is other issue that still we must work in, but we must take it for the next stage, for example. But at the moment, it's really, really important that make it clear for the government that we wanted ban for both of them, make it clear that the fine and punishment for those clinic and doctors is clear and including the families who push the girls anybody who pushed against institution and making sure that behind this law, there is enough resource and support to us, to women organization that we can go to the community and communicate with community and talk with them and educate them and uh, support them to understand this new law and uh, empower those women and girls. And most of that, here is really important. This education must go to secondary schools for girls and boys. It must be part of sex education. Otherwise, the next generation doesn't get so much. Don't, they, won't, they won't be empowered. Their self-esteem won't be enough 
to protect themselves even in the community in front of the family and say that this is my this is my right you can't touch it you can't decide it for me so sex education must be covered by virginity test and high mother pair as a misogynistic issue and girls and boys both must learn about that Absolutely. And, and I'm really glad you said about, um, as well as the legislation change, the support for women's organisations to be able to work within communities around education, because the, the end game, of course, is to get to a point where this is not even requested within families, that women aren't valued uh, and their worth isn't uh, around whether or not they're a virgin, that the communities themselves as I think we're starting to see with FGM, the communities themselves are turning their back on that practice. And, and that's where we want to get to with this, where communities are saying, no, that's not, that's not how we want to treat our young women. That's true. Uh, well, actually, um, these resources for women organization is really important because later on, we will face challenges. It's we as a women organization will challenges in the community because those custom and cultures who strongly believe in such a procedure, who strongly believe that women are property of the man's in their structure, they will fight us, they will challenge us and we need support from the government, from wider society, from other women activists, by resources, by uh, having a good backup from us because we are going to challenge them and say that you are wrong, we are right. Yes. So therefore, uh, the role of us is really, really important. And for this importance, we needed the support from everywhere. Media, government, uh, women activists, all activists, and then who everybody who care about this issue. And I think one of the things I've learned in the, the time I've been um, associated with Philia is, is sometimes it can be really easy to kind of divide women into different issues in different communities. But it's just getting back to, you know, these are young women like us or like our sisters, like our daughters. And we all need to come together for all of those women. It's, and it is that that sisterhood and solidarity that is the most threatening thing to misogyny because when we work together that's when we do change practices and we do you know get to a point where we are able to protect women and enable them to to live their lives fully without these constraints every time then i see the cases like that it breaks my heart and i just wonder how could happen we live in one country one total country and so close to the neighborhood our young girls have been treated by their custom and cultures like a one different tier system. And then the other side, they can enjoy themselves, their own young life, you know, with other rule and regulation. So why our girls in the community must suffer so much? So therefore, it's a, it's a, it's a duty of everyone, really. We all are equal citizens. And we must be treated by the government by one law, just one law to all of us will be required. And then this law, it should be 
domestic violence bill that newly have been accepted, and then with the all all the rules in this country, and uh, that's what that's that's my big wish and my big fight in the community mm -hmm. that I wanted my girls in my community grow up with the same value, like the rest of the society that the government give it to all of us. If there's, if there's one law, then it should be applicable to and protecting every every girl, shouldn't it? Not, no, it doesn't matter where those girls come from. Exactly. Oh, Hal, it's been an absolute delight to speak to you. Thank you so much for, for sharing all your wisdom and knowledge. I, I could chat to you for ages. We'll, we'll put all the details about the campaign um, alongside this podcast. And we're really also excited that you're going to be joining us, us at Philia this year. So listeners can come along and hear more from you at the conference itself and continue to follow you and the, and the great work you and Meso do around this issue. Thank you so much for your time. I'm delighted to join you in this conference, in this big event. And thank you so much for all your wonderful work. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, dear listener, for tuning in. We are incredibly grateful to all the women who donate their time and their efforts to create this podcast. That includes our guests, our interviewers, and our editors. You can find us on your favorite listening platforms like Apple, Stitcher, and Spotify. Just search for Philia Podcast. Please help us reach even more women. You can do that by subscribing to our show, by sharing this podcast with your friends, with your family, and with your coworkers, or by leaving us a positive rating and review. Philia organizes the largest annual grassroots feminist conference in the UK. We would love to see you there. You can support our work by joining the Friends of Philia scheme, by giving a solidarity ticket so that even more women can join our conference, and by subscribing to our newsletter. Please take a look around our website, philia.org.uk, to find out more. Together, women make magic happen, and we can't wait to be in touch with you.